0: I was just thinking um, during the second worship song, our faith should never get old. Do do you ever think about the time when you first gave your life to Jesus, or when the Lord touched you in a meaningful, powerful way, where you just you experienced freedom? And I think sometimes the temptation for us is that we just kind of go along. And um, we forget the days of, of when the Lord brought us to himself, brought him to himself. And then we just kind of end up going through the motions. And I just, I pray that during this Sunday, but during this sermon series, that the Lord will just minister to his people. That he will remind us once again of the joy of salvation. You know, everything that he's given us in Christ, that it'll never grow old. We just continue to open up the promises of God with eyes wide open, realizing all the things that he's done for us, with hearts that are receptive to the movement of his spirit. Um, a number of years ago, after I was, I was still a new believer, uh, and a pastor came up to me and he said, Billy, I think you should go into the ministry, I think, you should, I think God's calling you to be a pastor. I said, no, uh, because I see what you do and I don't want to do it and I want to make money. And uh, he says, no, I really feel like God's called you to be a pastor, and, and I want to invite you to this pastor's conference. They're going to be focusing on preaching, and I'm just going to pray that the Lord reveals to you what his will is in regards to your future and your vocation. So I went uh, with him on that conference on one condition that he paid for it. He paid for it. <laughs> And it was a preaching conference, and I didn't know the two keynote speakers' names. I I knew nothing about them. And some of you may not either. Some of you might. But the first keynote speaker was Jack Hayford. Second keynote speaker was John MacArthur. (laughs) And uh, now I find out they have very different philosophies of ministry. Uh, anyways, I noticed even then there was one speaker that really emphasized, you know, the power of the Spirit in preaching and just what the Lord does. And there was a lot of clapping and shouting of hallelujahs. There was a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit, uh, excitement. And then with the other speaker who was pre- talking about preaching, there was a lot of note-taking. <laughs> and even then I noticed there was some difference, and, and even now, I mean, you, you can kind of think about like, what, what, when you think about it, like a Bible or a, a word-based church versus a spirit-based church, we can draw some of these kind of general conclusions, maybe. Uh, you know, a, a sermon-based church or word-based church focuses on the sermon. A spirit-based church maybe focus on the music and ministry time. Word-based church focuses on the, the bigness of God, the transcendence, the sovereignty of God. A spirit-based church will maybe focus on the nearness and the warmth of the the spirit. Uh, Word-based church may focus on the reverence and and our posture towards the Lord. A spirit-based church may focus on joy. Word-based form, spirit-based freedom. Word-based singing to God uh, or about God, uh, spirit-based church uh, singing to God. Word-based church focusing on the objective principles that are found in scripture. Spirit-based church, focusing more on spontaneity and the power of the Spirit. Uh, word-based church, you bring your Bibles and a notepad. Spirit-based church, you bring your Bibles and tambourines. So there might be some differences. Now, which is it? Are we called to be a word-based church or a spirit-based church? <laughs> yes. It's always Yes. Both. We are called to be a word-based church and a spirit-based church. Those two. And I reject the false dichotomy that we have to be one or the other. In fact, Paul would say in Ephesians 5.18 that we are called to be filled with the spirit of God. But using the same language in Colossians 3.16, he says, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. May you be filled with God's word. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So on one hand, using almost the exact same language, he says, be filled with God's word. And then the other passage, be filled with God's spirit. Which is it? Yes. We are called to be filled with God's word, that the word of God has the ultimate authority for our life. And it's the spirit of God that inspired God's word that applies God's word to our heart. So as a church, we are called to be both word-based and spirit-based. Now, why are we doing uh, this series, the series that we're calling Alive in the Spirit? We're going to be focusing on the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit during this entire season of resurrection. Why are we doing this? For a couple reasons. First is because it's in our identity, We are a spirit, word, sacrament church. Three streams, one river. If you want to know what sacrament is, you have to go back and listen to on YouTube our sermon series on the liturgy. Sacrament. We're also spirit and word. Spirit-based, word-based, sacramentally formed. But why is it a part of our identity? That's what the series is for. We're called to be led by the spirit, filled with the spirit, the spirit of God. That's for us as a church. But the second reason is, it's because without the spirit, we are a dead church. There's nothing, more, there's nothing more harmful than a church that walks by the flesh and not by the spirit. There's nothing that causes more death than a church that walks by the flesh and not by the spirit. So we call to walk in the spirit. Jesus, when he's evaluating the church of Sardis, says, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You're dead. You have the reputation of being alive. You have great programs, things seem to be up and to the right. You're growing. You just got done with the capital campaign. Things seem to be really, really good. Your pastor's putting out podcasts, signing book deals. Your drummer is crushing it. You have the best electric guitar player in the state of Sardis. You're awesome, you know. That's what the reputation is. Everybody's going to that church in Sardis. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. We could run the risk of a church of growing, adding programs doing all of these great things, but inwardly be filled with nothing but dead man's bones. And so for us as a church, we are called to be filled with the Spirit, to be alive in the Spirit. And that's why we're going through this series. Now, there might be uh, people in different camps when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, or even a series called Alive in the Spirit. For some... Maybe you've grown up in the church and you've heard sermons about this Holy Spirit series about the Holy Spirit. You've had some exposure and so you're kind of curious about what Wellspring has to say about the Holy Spirit. So there's some curiosity. Others you were formed in a charismatic church and the Holy Spirit is just has <laughs> you know you can't wait for the series. In fact, you, you are ready to bring your tambourine, your shofar, your flags, and your courtesy blankets next Sunday. I mean, you're ready to go. And if you don't know what a courtesy blanket is, you did not grow up in a charismatic church. <laughs> now, there's others. There's others who have experienced some trauma in a charismatic church because spiritual language was used to manipulate and to be coercive. And you were told that the reason why you weren't healed is because you didn't have enough faith. The reason why you didn't speak in tongues is because you didn't have enough faith. The Spirit was used to try to coerce and manipulate, and as a result, it left all sorts of trauma. So when you talk about going through a series on the Holy Spirit, you're not excited, you're fearful. And our hope that through this series is that we as a church, listen, that we as a church will be empowered by the Spirit, that we will be encouraged with the Spirit, that we will be built up as the church, and that we will experience greater unity As a result of going through this series, focusing on the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, ultimately, the end result is that Jesus will be glorified. Things always go wrong when people are at the center. The reason why the Spirit of God comes among the church is to bring glory and honor to King Jesus. Things always go wrong when we focus on self. But our hope is that through this all, we will experience the love of the Lord, encouragement, being powered, and ultimately see King Jesus glorified. So as an introductory sermon, if we get to the end of the sermon, you think, well, that felt like an introduction, it's because it is. And we want to do two things. First is look at the big idea of this entire series, but then secondly, look at the three desired outcomes. When it's all said and done, what is the big idea and what are the three desired outcomes? First, what is the big idea? And just allow me to geek out a little bit on scripture and give me 12 minutes and 37 seconds to do so. What is the role of the spirit throughout scripture? If you look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the f- surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now those two words, formless and empty, in the original language are tohu and bohu. It's a, it, it's, it's, it's a device that the, that the original author uses to, to allow the, the reader to remember. But tohu and bohu literally mean death formless void without life and here's the image that here is an environment that does not have life you know death destruction formless and void but then you also have the spirit of god Hovering over the darkness, hovering over the formlessness, hovering over the void, the Spirit of God. And that word is Ruach. It's the breath of God. It's the wind of God. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God, which is the breath of God. And anytime you have breath, you have life. And a first responder will tell you that when they come onto a scene and somebody is unconscious, the first thing that they check for, for vitals, for life, is are they breathing? Because breath reveals life. So in the midst of the formlessness and the void, you have the, vo- the, the, the breath of God, the spirit of God hovering over. And as a result of the breath of God coming in contact with the formlessness, you have creation. God creates, brings life, flourishing. Why? Ruach. The breath of God. The life of God. Psalm 104, verse 30 says, When you send your spirit... They are created. They are created. The Spirit, listen, the Spirit is God's life transforming agent in creation. Let me say that again. The Spirit is God's life transforming agent in creation. Not only creation, but also recreation. If you look at uh, Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel has a vision of the dry bones. And the bones are in there. The wind of God, the breath of God, the ruach of God comes through the valley and the bones begin to shake and rattle. And then there's sinews and capillaries and skin. And that which was dead is now brought to life. Things that are dead when they come in contact with the spirit, they have to come to life. They have to come to life because the spirit is God's life-giving agent. So anything that's dead, formless or void, come in contact with the ruach, life. Life and that's what happens in Ezekiel 37. The reason why there is the image of the vision of the dead bones is speaking to the spiritual apathy or deadness of Israel. But when the Spirit of God comes among the people of God, there's life, because the Holy Spirit is God's life-giving transformation, transformational agent in creation, in creation, but also in recreation. Keep going. Matthew Chapter 1, verse 1. We could do this in Mark, Luke, or John. But for the sake of time, we're just going to be looking at Matthew. The the, the first two words in the book of Matthew are biblos genesis. The book of uh, genealogy, the book of beginnings. The NIV translates it, this is the genealogy of who? Of Jesus. And then it gives the descendants of Jesus. Jesus. But the Genesis, the Biblos Genesis, the book of beginnings, now that is hearkening back to the first Adam. Jesus is the second Adam, but it's hearkening back to the first Adam. That when in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, Adam is also revealing his descendants. And the reason why Adam has life and the reason why Adam has descendants is because of the Ruach of God. God breathes in the dirt. And life comes. And then Adam has descendants. And then you have the very beginning of Jesus. You have in his descendants, you have the ruach of God, the breath of God. And what does the breath do? Verse 18 of that same chapter, Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, you know, He didn't have a beginning. <laughs> he always was. He's God. He is who was, who is to come. And Jesus was incarnated through the presence of the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is a life-transforming agent in creation and recreation. Verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The conception was possible through the presence of the Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the presence and the power of the Spirit. He was baptized in the Spirit. Now in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, you have the magi coming to see Jesus, to see the incarnation. And in that passage, it's a direct quote from Isaiah 60, which says, see, now what is this reminiscent of? See, see darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. In other words, in the midst of the darkness, the darkness of the nations, there is arising a great light. Who is the servant of God? Who is Jesus? Light is piercing the darkness. And what was darkness? Light is coming out. What was dead? Life is coming out. What was chaotic? Now there's order. Why? Because the spirit of God coming among Jesus, he is the light of the world. Fulfilling Isaiah chapter 60. So the spirit of God is God's life transforming agent. Lastly, Matthew chapter 12, verse 18 and 21, again, quoting Isaiah 42. Here is my servant. Who is the, who is the servant? Jesus. Whom I have chosen, the one whom I love and whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. How will he declare justice? How will there be flourishing? How will there be light? life? Right before this, Jesus heals. Right after it, he casts out a demon, and he says, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Jesus brings healing. Jesus brings light. He pushes out evil. How is that possible? What is going on? The spirit of God is among Jesus. And when the spirit of God comes, he takes, he takes chaos and he brings about order. He takes death and he brings about life. He takes darkness and he brings his light. That's what the spirit does because the spirit is God's life transforming agent. Now, this is the kicker. John chapter 16, verse 14, 15. Jesus says, the spirit will glorify me. That's Jesus. This important. Remember that the spirit will glorify me, Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine, Jesus. That is why I said the Holy Spirit will receive from me what is mine and make it known to you. So Jesus receives all that is from the father, the spirit, and then Jesus gives everything of his to the spirit And the spirit makes it known to us, the church. Why? First part of the verse, to glorify Jesus. What does that mean? It means that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of us. Now, here is the big idea of this entire series. This is the big idea. We're going to have, I don't know, seven or eight weeks where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And this is the big idea of all of those sermons and all the work that the Holy Spirit does. The big idea is that we are alive in the Spirit to reveal the resurrected Christ to the world. Let me say that again, and I want to hear a lot of (laughs) response. We are alive in the Spirit to reveal the resurrected Christ to the world why because the same spirit that called jesus out of the grave is now calling us out of the grave the same spirit that gave jesus life is the same spirit that gives us life for what purpose for magnifying for revealing for shining a spotlight on the resurrected christ to a lost and a broken world that's the purpose of the church We've been baptized with his spirit. We've been filled with his spirit to reveal to a lost and a dark world, the resurrection power of Christ. Now, as I was looking for an illustration for this, I I can't think of a better one than J.I. Packer in his book, um, Keeping in Step with the Spirit. He talks about the the Holy Spirit's floodlight ministry. And, And this is what he means. So we have spotlights here. When we were designing this whole thing, the, the, you know most like theaters or whatever, you have the light bars going across the middle. We chose not to do that because we didn't want anything to impede the ultimate, which is the cross. That the purpose of the spotlight is not to draw attention to the spotlight. but the purpose of the spotlight is to draw, some, draw attention to something beyond itself. And so if we were to have a light bar in the middle here, it would distract from our view of the cross. We are all called to engage in spotlight ministry. We are the spotlights to the world. And the only reason why a spotlight works is it has to have energy in it, it has to have the presence of something beyond itself. We as spotlights have the Holy Spirit, His power and His presence, but not to shine on us, but to shine on Christ to shine on Jesus because we are alive in the spirit to reveal the resurrected Christ to a lost in a dark world. That's why this series is so important. Floodlight ministry. Spotlight ministry. Three desired outcomes. First and quickly, we want to educate. Educate, equip, and expectant. We want to have all those desired outcomes. First, educate. We want to demystify the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a mystery, but we want to demystify. Because when you think about Holy Spirit, it can be kind of nebulous. Um, But also within the education part, uh, in the words of one of our pastors, you have that book by Bruce Shelley called Church History in Plain Language. We would like to see the Holy Spirit in plain language and to be educated about who the Holy Spirit is. Because I think oftentimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, we don't think of him as the third person of the Trinity. We think of the Holy Spirit as a force or an it. He's not an it, he's a he. Not because he has gender, but because he's person, third person of the Trinity. If, if the Holy Spirit is a force or just, just merely a power or an it, then to be filled with the Spirit means that you go from like four watts to eight watts. Or to be filled with the Spirit is like, you know, going from four liters or gallons to eight liters or 12 liters of, of whatever, of the Holy Spirit. That's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He's a person. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you're filled with his influence. If, if you have a wedding, you, you don't just, you don't, okay, well, we're good now in our relationship, and then you just go your separate ways because now we're married. The, the, the wedding begins the marriage, and the wedding is the first step. But then you spend your life with the other person in order to fill yourself with that person, to fill yourself with the influence of that person. So it is the spirit. When we give our life to Christ, that's the wedding. We receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our salvation. But then we continue to get filled with the spirit. That's the marriage. Grow in influence. Grow in dependence. Grow in his power. So we need to be educated about what the Holy Spirit does. But secondly, we need to be equipped. We need to be equipped because there's so many people in the church who are wanting more of a relationship with God and go to church Sunday after Sunday and leave wanting. We want to leave filled. We want to leave equipped. We want to leave being able to go out and minister, not in our strength, but in the strength that God gives us, his Holy Spirit. Billy Graham says, everywhere I go, he went a lot of places, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They're hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not at all that they expected, and they often have reoccurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Billy Graham. There's a statistic that came out about four years ago that said in the next 30 years, there's going to be approximately 42 million people who will leave the church altogether because after high school, they will find that what their experience was in church left them wanting, left them unfulfilled. But what's interesting about that is what they will still say is is they still desire something of a spiritual nature. They're still spiritual. They're still, still spiritually hungry. And so for us as a church, what does it mean for us to be filled with the Spirit? To have the deepest parts, the deepest recesses of our souls being satisfied and filled with the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. And we cannot go out into a lost and a dark world in our own strength. There's too much brokenness. There's too many lives that are just shattered, marriages that are falling apart. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it in our own strength. We went on a prayer walk, our staff did on Tuesday, and I was just walking around the neighborhood, just door, I mean, just walking by the houses, Just and I was just overwhelmed of my own sense of inadequacy, of what does it mean to be a light to a lost and a broken world? There's so many marriages that are struggling, so many lives that are just depressed and discouraged, And there's nothing inside of me, so inadequate, that anything that I can provide that will bring a solution to that brokenness, to that despairingness, to that hopelessness, there's nothing that I can bring. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that will bring life transformation. We live in a world that is experiencing incredible hopelessness. I just read this this week from the CDC. The United States is experiencing extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%. According to a new CDC study, this is the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. We are on the brink of a catastrophe. Close to half of our teenage students are on the brink of depression. And what is the solution? It's the Holy Spirit. And we as a church are called to be equipped to not only have our soul satisfied, but then to minister in the name of Jesus, not for our glory, but for his. Lastly, lastly, we are called to be expectant. And that's one of the desired outcomes is that by the end of this, we just desire more of the Spirit's life in our life. John 7, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. If anyone is thirsty, come and drink. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. Are you thirsty this morning? We can't manipulate or coerce the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we do have a responsibility to set the altars of our heart. In the Old Testament, the Israelites could not call down the fire, but they were responsible for building the altar. So during this series, let's come with expectant hearts by building the altar of our souls and then crying out to the Lord to send his fire, for the Holy Spirit to descend upon his people baptize us, fill us, empower us That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living inside of us, that we will be alive in the spirit so that we can reveal the resurrected Christ to the world. That's the goal. King Jesus